If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Hey, music lovers. The Cannamom Show podcast, in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars, is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at LampkinGuitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's hot time. We had a hot time. Together. Together. Yes, it's a hot time. We had a hot time. Together. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. March is Women's History Month, so I'm seeing a lot of stats on women floating through my social feed. And I gotta say, I find it alarming that women compose 51% of the population, yet only own 1% of the land. And as a woman in business, it was a punch in the gut to see that in 2022, less than 2% of funding went to female entrepreneurs. Even though the research shows year over year that women-led businesses outperform their male counterparts. And here I am, a loud and proud woman working in hemp and cannabis, still showing up eight years later, hell-bent on making a difference doing what I love, still ready for my financials to reflect my worth. My parents think I'm nuts for not going back to the corporate world I left 11 years ago, where I did make great money. But that would be like going back to an old relationship that wasn't working. I'm not willing to do something simply for the fat paycheck, especially when it doesn't align with my values, no matter how big that paycheck is. I am, however, crazy enough to believe that everything is working out perfectly, no matter what it looks like in the moment. My sister Crystal calls gals like us sturdy girls because we don't get toppled over by adversity. Sturdy girls can stand strong in emotional tsunamis and financial shitstorms. So many amazing women are in the midst of this struggle. So I called up another sturdy girl I know to learn more about her latest adventures in educating and empowering women on the path to financial freedom. Kira Reed is the founder of Women Employed in Cannabis, the only international association for women working in cannabis, hemp, and CBD. She is a marketing, branding, and social media expert called a pioneer by Entrepreneur Magazine in 2011 for her cutting-edge work with the legendary Sunset Strip. In 2019 and 2020, 
Kira was acknowledged as one of the 100 most important women in weed by Green Market Report and was awarded the Women's Leadership Award for Community Activism in 2022. Kira has been a speaker on branding and marketing at MJ BizCon, Global Cannabis Conference, and New West Summit. And Kira is also a fellow podcaster. She and I have sister shows in the PodConnects network. She is the host of Women Leading in Cannabis. But before we get today's podcast party started, a word from our sponsor, MJ Relief, the CBD-infused muscle rub, PhD-formulated, by a woman, for what aches and pains you. Our challenge was to choose an entourage of ingredients, all with anti-inflammatory, pain-relieving, and or skin-soothing qualities. MJ is made by women, strong enough for performance athletes, and gentle enough for sensitive skin. Explore our ingredients and support your body and my small business at mjskinrelief.com. You'll always save 10% using promo code CASUALLYBAKED, all one word, at checkout. That's MJSkin, R-E-L-I-E-F dot com, promo code CASUALLYBAKED. And if you're listening on your phone, scroll down in the podcast app you're using to see the episode notes where you'll find links to this offer and more from other Casually Baked partner brands. Shopping podcast affiliates is a win-win because you saving money on the things you want supports the production of this show. It's the friend economy in action. Now, if you woke up this morning stressed about not having the money you need to run your business properly, this podcast is for you. It's also for anyone just starting out, seeking education and business mentorship, and a roadmap to funding. Kira shares fundraising truths, options for funding your business, and lessons learned to help women ditch the scarcity mentality, evaluate their business model, and get ready for the investor conversation with confidence. And fellas, you're not left out of this deal. This is an important conversation for you to hear too. Looking at business and entrepreneurship through the lens of a woman's experience can dial in how you support the ladies in your life. So smoke them if you got them, my friend, and settle in. It's time to get casually baked. Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA Kit by Endocana Health. I did this years ago, and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit, EndoDecoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, EndoAligned product matching in your state, suggested dosage guidelines, and optimum methods of administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, EndoDNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Effica Soft Gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Effica Unwind, created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formulation of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget, promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. It's high time. We had a high time together, together. Kira Reed, thank you so much for joining me on an episode of the podcast. It is fun to finally have you here in my space. Woohoo! I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You know, you are working on something that is so important to me and so many of the other women that I know right now who are just struggling in entrepreneurship to just keep it going because 
we struggle with the funding and the financing mm-hmm. and you know getting the support that we need to grow our businesses the way we know they can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about your origin story, how you ended up in the cannabis space, kind of your trajectory of starting WEIC, what that meant, and then how that's transformed into what you're doing now. So your background is in marketing and social media and branding. So how did you take that skill set and get inspired to enter into this chaotic world of cannabis? Well, before I got into cannabis, I was working in the music industry and which morphed into the tech industry in the early 2000s as blogging and social media and MySpace and Twitter and all these things rolled out. I was working with bands and there was this new thing coming up called blogging and it was really revolutionary because you know, marketing is very competitive. The concept of collaboration among like kinds of brands was just not something you would ever do. And so this blogging thing, they were writing about, you know, bands, but then they were also sharing all of these other blogs in their blog role that were writing about the same exact thing. And then they were sharing each other's content. It was, it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. And I loved it. And I got to learn a lot more about the open source movement, which is also based on this concept of we all build it together and it's open to everyone to use and to improve on. And I really loved that new approach. And I saw that that whole ideology was going to be changing the way that we looked at marketing. And this was before the term social media even evolved. So I got really interested in how I could leverage this new uh, way of thinking about things. And uh, in about 2006, I met the owner of the Roxy Theater on the Sunset Strip. And it was at a time when the Sunset Strip was just, I mean, the roads were a mess. Nobody was going there. It was kind of this, the land of the has-been musician. And I met with the owner and pitched him on this idea of, hey, you know, what What if we just built community? What if instead of this velvet rope mentality where there was just constant competition, we threw our doors open and led this community on the Sunset Strip to work together? And he loved the idea. So he became my first social media client. And I worked with him to bring on the comedy store and the Viper Room and the Key Club. And then we started bringing in Uh, non-music related businesses. And before you knew it, we had what we called the social strip, where it was this idea that we are all working together because the former way of approaching things was we're all going to fight for that dollar. And to his credit, Mm -hmm. Nick Adler, the owner of the Roxy said, you know what, we need to share that dollar. We need to find a way to get somebody to come onto the strip and then spend a quarter with each of us. And that will be the the attitude that changes everything. And then that extended as well to the people who had come to the shows, to the bands, the audience, the managers, every way we could, we looked to open our doors and build community. And it was just a raging success. We ended up with the Sunset Strip Music Festival that lasted for seven years. And we really changed the entire way that the Sunset Strip was perceived. And so, you know, coming from that music background, I was also born and raised in California. Cannabis has been a part of my life since before I was born. And then, of course, in the music industry, cannabis is everywhere. So Mm -hmm. after the success we had on the Sunset Strip, the digital media guy from the Viper Room and the Comedy Store and the Roxy, we all got together and we launched our own social media agency. And we really wanted to work with cannabis companies because it was something that we all really believed in. And it was still, unfortunately, at a time when the it was kind of that gray area where, you know, the feds aren't going to shut you down, but maybe we will. And so it was really hard to make much progress with getting companies to invest in their marketing and branding at that time. So I put it down, moved on, started to really have this kind of awakening as we were moving more into the tech space because, you know, as you recall, back in the mid 2000s, you know, that's when 
MySpace, then Twitter, then Facebook. So all of a sudden, everything was around technology and how we were going to use technology, regardless of what industry you were in, to build your business. So I started to become a lot more exposed to the tech world. And the misogyny in the world was just mind-blowing because there was they didn't even try to conceal it anymore. I mean, at least in the music industry and entertainment, you know, there there was very clear lines drawn, but it wasn't as obvious. In tech, I mean, I had one guy, the thing that really broke through was when I had a someone I didn't know, a man reach out to me and said, he starts his email, hey there, little lady, I heard you might be good to put on my panel. And I lost it. I bet you did. So that was my first like real awakening of the fact that women have to put up with this. You know, of course, then I turn the lens on my life and see all of these microaggressions that I've been dealing with and defending myself from and building resentment up and building trauma up that so that I didn't even realize what was really going on. And then from that experience, I told several of my female friends who were in adjacent industries, PR, marketing, et cetera, in LA at the time and very pro woman. And, and they all had this reaction to me that was like, well, you maybe you shouldn't have reacted so harsh or, you know, it was like all of a sudden, what about, what about having my back? What about me? You know, then I became like the troublemaker, even among women. And I was so furious about it that when it came time to pivoting into the cannabis industry for real, because Prop 64 happened and I knew it was going to pass. And I, and, and the thing that really just rung my bell over and over was this movement for women that women grow had started and they were on vice and they were getting written up in magazines. It was like, I have to be a part of this because this is new. This is different. I can make a change, a big change. So it wasn't just about community. Now I could take all of my skills in building community and bringing people together and redefining competition into co-opetition and collaboration, but I could also help women. So mm-hmm. I dove in and started my marketing agency here in the summer of 2016, right before um, 64 passed, and started really checking out what was happening for women. I decided I was going to launch a course at the time. So it was still really early. And, you know, using a lot of the techniques that I'd learned about digital marketing and internet marketing, where, you know, you position this, oh, the life that you could have. Oh, I could be on a beach, you know, with a handsome man and and driving a sports car and wearing Christian Louboutins. And so that was kind of the the way that I presented this material, you know, if you learn how to be a good business owner and you're successful, this is, this is what can happen for you. But as I'm sure you are not surprised, it flopped majorly because the truth (laughs) is that women in this industry don't give a crap about that. I mean, maybe we do. I mean, who doesn't want a nice pair of new Louboutins and a great vacation on the beach, but that wasn't their driver. That wasn't their motivation. They were part of this industry because they were here to help. They wanted to make a difference. They did not, they were undisturbed, unmoved by these other promises of success. Success to them was legalization, medicine in patients' hands. So really, it took me a a little while to really understand that about the women in the industry. And yeah, this isn't the superficialness (laughs) of tech or or Mm-mm. entertainment. It is totally different in cannabis. It is such a distinct difference. I had never experienced anything like it because it could cross any industry and that kind of marketing would be successful. But cannabis was attracting pioneers, you know, people who are like, the thrill for me is creating change, not getting to, you know, show off my new car. So yeah. that was the first realization I had about how women in this industry were really different. I had been fortunate enough to meet Jamie Cooper. She started working with me on, um, at the time we were women entrepreneurs in cannabis, because that was what I figured I was really going after was the woman entrepreneur. And she said, well, why don't we start a Facebook group? And my initial response was, oh God, no. It's just, it's, they just don't work. They're so hard to build groups unless you're doing something that's really controversial. She said, no, no, no. We, we just trust me. We got to do it. So I said, okay, fine. So thank Jamie Cooper for the existence of WEIC because without her urging, we would not be here. And it was right at a time when another organization that had a pretty stronghold in California was making their exit. 
So it left a hole in the industry for women. And I was also fortunate enough to be paired up with Amanda Conley and Shabnam Malik of Brandon Branch, who are big leaders in the space for women. They brought their friends in. And within the first two months, I had 1,500 women, some of the most influential women in the industry at the time. And they were like, all right, we'll give it a shot. And it just grew from there. And I dropped the course and focused on how am I going to build this community? Obviously, I have something here. I'm the only one that exists in this platform, right? I'm not the only women's group, but the only one that had a community organization like that. And I knew what I'm doing. I built major communities before. So it was something that was like, okay, this is something I can work with. This is something I can grow. And then over the years, we've had different iterations. We went from women entrepreneurs to women empowered and from women empowered to women employed. Because, you know, when you start something so early in the industry, you know, it was mainly legacy women that were starting. As we've grown, we've now got women from all over the world every level in the industry from just curious all the way up to exited CEOs and everything in between. So I really needed to find a way as we grew to make sure that we were welcoming more and more women, because the most important thing for me is I want women to be able to come here, whether you engage with us at an event or you engage with us on the Facebook page or LinkedIn or any of the other places we exist that you know you can come here and find resources and connect with other women, that this exists for you, which really doesn't exist in other industries. For that reason, we have changed our name and changed a little bit of our identity to be more inclusive and welcoming. And, you know, COVID was intense, but because we were so heavily online, we were able to make the pivot. And so through networking and doing events, we really held it together in 2020. By 2021, things were starting to really change in the industry. And I realized I have got to find a way to get women money because no matter what the other problems we were solving, the issues that we were trying to address, getting women educated on the supply chain, connecting them with each other, making resources available, giving them insider information that they can't find anywhere else. It was good, but it didn't move the needle because it always came back down to, I don't have money to run my business. I don't have money to scale and grow. So I thought, okay, I'm in the same situation. I have this community and I can't get a grip on monetizing it. I don't know how Mm -hmm. to do this. And so many of us in totally different industries having this same experience. Mm -hmm. And it is just like looking around like, how are all these other people getting funding or how are all these other people doing it? I don't understand. Like, am I an idiot? There's so many times that I just would bash myself because Mm -hmm. the sparkle of social media makes everybody else look like they're doing a really great Mm -hmm. fucking job. Mm -hmm. But the truth is it's smoke and mirrors and we're all struggling to get that support and that funding. Yes. And unfortunately, there's the reason why at the very end, when a woman is sitting down in front of an investor, where if that investor decides, "Mm, I don't see myself in you, right? And this is the number one thing across the board outside of cannabis that I have read that investors will admit to. I just don't see you in me or me in you, right? Because you're a woman. I just meh. I can't do anything about that. But what I can do is help women get to that meeting and be as prepared as possible so that they leave very few excuses on the table for the investor to say no. And what I've found in looking at that trajectory is we make a lot of mistakes. And the number one mistake being, and this is a lesson I had to learn is I didn't have a business that was appealing to an investor. And unless we start having that real conversation about what is equity and when do you do that and what does it take to get equity, we're going to have a lot of women in our positions spending a tremendous amount of time and energy trying to get that done and being unsuccessful and then caving in on ourselves because we couldn't do it, but everybody else can. Why can I not do it? They can do it. Well, the truth is, number one, there is it's a very long process. It can be eight months to a year before you ever get that money in your pocket. 
And a lot of women start that process when their back is against the wall and they need money. So they need an immediate solution for something. And they're looking in a direction that's not even going to produce for them for a year. Yeah. Right. They need an immediate solution. They and they're in the beginning of a runway. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and part of the thing when you said you didn't have a business that someone, an investor wanted to put money towards invest in, you know, one of the first things that I heard when someone approached me wanting to invest in what I was doing, but then when I talked to them about what I was doing, they're like, oh, well, then if you got hit by a bus, then my money is mm -hmm. just gone. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, how do I take what I'm doing? How do I create this in some way where I'm not wearing all of the hats, where mm -hmm. the whole business doesn't rely on me waking up and breathing every day? <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to some degree, the same could be said about what I was doing with WEIC, too. You know, if I go, who's going to keep it going? So that is definitely a major deterrent to, to raising money. So I feel like women are not, we're not educated on A, what it takes to get it, B, the kind of company that has the equity option. And then I think a lot of women end up in a situation like I was in where I work for myself. I've worked for myself for a very long time. I built something that is meaningful to a lot of people and I don't have any more money to put into it to grow. So I've gotten it to this point where either I get funding, take out money and borrow money, or I have to shut it down because I can't yeah. continue to grow. Right. So how many women have you known at that point? I hundreds at this point for me in yeah. the community. Yeah. I, what I'm thinking is, okay, how, how do I change this? Because I can't even change it for myself. So I, I started talking with the Panther group last early last year, because they have a woman there named Erica who, you know, she's pushing from the inside. We need to pay more attention to women. We need to focus on women. So she called me and she said, you know, I know you've got this group and, you know, we're thinking about developing a community similar to what, you know, I understand you do. So oh, after several conversations, we decided, okay, let's bring this together. Because for me, I was not, my husband would not allow me to take out a million dollars or even a hundred thousand dollars to keep this thing going. We've already put a ton of money into it and there's no way I'm going to get funding. So I got to do an M&A, right? So that is mm -hmm. the other option. And that is actually what is happening more than any other deal right now in cannabis is m and I mean, if there might be a lot of lending going on, but in specifically in California, lenders and investors are not touching this market. It is an overly saturated, um, the price has fallen out, brands are closing every day. Like this mm -hmm. is an acquisition, mergers and acquisition market right now. Yeah. One thing that I think is important to interject right now are some of the statistics that I know that you have yep. around women and funding, because some people can be listening to this and be like, oh, you know, poor women mm -hmm. bitching about mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. women's shit that yep. women bitch about. Yep. Yep. But it's like less than 3% of all money so, goes to female entrepreneurs. Okay. So this is a national statistic, not cannabis. Nationally, in 2020, women received 2.3% of all funding. In 2022, it fell to 1.9%. Numbers in cannabis are going to be even lower than that. And the numbers for women of color, I mean, they don't even register, like 0. 0.0001, right? So if $230 billion were handed out last year, Two billion went to women. That's abysmal and pathetic. Now, on the yeah. other side, now is that is that in the United States or is that, that internationally? Is in the United States. I haven't okay, been tracking in international numbers. No. Okay. Um. Now, here's the interesting thing. You might say, well, women maybe just aren't as good business owners as men are, and that is why. Well. Folks, that is the furthest thing from the truth. In fact, I'm going to read you some statistics that were put out by PitchBook Data. Um, these are new statistics that were just came out in January. Private tech companies led by women achieve 
35% higher return on investment. Women founded companies in first round capitals portfolio outperformed companies founded by men by 63%. Nice. Right? This, there are statistics all over the web. Women have a faster return on investment. We're profitable faster. We have less turnover and way happier employees. All of that adds up to a stronger, more stable business. So these statistics are not just from last year. These statistics go back to the mid-2000s, over and over and over again, where these analysis are done. Women outperform their male counterparts. So why are we not getting funded? Yeah. Well, and part of the problem that I end up having with some of the the women that I collaborate with is constantly being told, ladies, you're not thinking big enough. Like, <laughs> I love been that one. Trained to think small because we can't get those dollars or they're not going to listen to us. And so it's like, oh, well, I bet we could do this for $200,000. And somebody else is like, do not ask for less than a million. Right. You know, but, then, it's, but then it puts you in your back against the wall because then you ask for the million and they go, what do you, you don't need that much. Why are you asking for that much? I mean, I've had, I've been like a ping pong ball in between that. Well, you know, you, what are you going to do with that million? How are you going to, I, I just don't know that it's a good investment. So the idea is, and I've reframed this, and this is what I tell people. I got this piece of advice from a invest, female investor. If you want to borrow a million dollars, you have to reverse engineer how you're going to be making $10 million a year within three years of receiving that. And so rather than looking at it like, aim for the skies, no, you have a target and you reverse engineer it. And the thing is mm -hmm. that if I had started that to begin my funding journey, I would have looked at, oh my God, look at what I have to do to get there. Whew, I don't know if I can scale that. So yeah. it can really, approaching it the right way can actually help us have the right mindset about what we're doing as a long-term strategy and not just trying to go after it because now we're running out of money or, you know, I need to do other things. So I need to hire somebody. I hear this stuff all the time as reasons why women are, are seeking funding. And these are not, not good reasons to do it, but it's not enough of a reason. You have to be able to, to satisfy the investor's desire to make money off of your business. That is your number one goal, not figuring out how you're going to keep your business going right? Your business yes. already be going plenty. If that is the situation you're in, you are looking in the wrong direction for equity. So, well, and well, you saying that when you are in the weeds trying to uh -huh. build and, you know, the world shuts down in your face and like, you know, everything kind of falls apart. I truly have been that person that's scrambling around that's like, okay, I'm now having to focus my energy in three places mm -hmm. to make up for the money that I lost in this one place. And so, you know, just trying to keep it all together without just being like, you know what? Okay, fuck it. It's, it's done. I can't do the podcast anymore. It's not, you know, this isn't paying me to build this media company or whatever, you know, so you get, mm -hmm. you don't want to let go of that thing. And so mm -hmm. you do start spinning a few other plates and it's just like trying to get out from under that and get your footing back is, I mean, that's an art form that I'm still trying to learn. Well, you know, again, it's why I really think we need to have more of a conversation about mergers and acquisitions, because once you start that funding journey, that's your job as a CEO, because your investors are, they aren't expecting that they are going to be your only round of funding. Your job and CEOs are expected to spend 50% or more of their time on fundraising period. So is that really what you want to do? Or do you want to be an artist? Do you want to focus on the best quality interviews and really having an incredible product? If that's the case, then you need to reevaluate what you're doing, because if you go down that funding road, that's your job now, right? Yeah. And if you don't want to be doing that, maybe it's time to look at 
a merger and an acquisition because it's something that can happen much faster, get you the support that you need to do what it is you really want to do. And for me, that was the other reason I decided to do this with the Panther Group because I don't want to spend my life fundraising. I want to spend my time making a difference for women in the industry. And I cannot do that if I'm running an organization that's borrowed money from somebody and now has to pay it back and get more. Yeah. And there are people out there that are fabulous fundraisers. Yes. I, you know, I have one in my life that I have met and I've courted him. You know, I'm like, I need you to peek behind the curtain of what I'm doing and who I am as a human and, and be on board and understand my thought process and what, you know, my, all my beautiful mind shit that I'm doing and Mm -hmm. how I plan on connecting all of these dots. You know, when you can sell that to someone who is a professional fundraiser, then, you know, I feel like I can go out and continue to do what I do best and then allow somebody else to represent me in Mm -hmm. that space. Mm -hmm. However, I still need to know what's happening and how I need to fit into that game. And because to me, it's something that I, I never learned in school. I didn't learn it from my parents. I didn't take those sorts of courses when I'm getting a mass communications degree in college. So, you know, I'm a complete novice in that regard. And so even if I'm not doing my own fundraising, I still need to know how it all works and what the language is and what the relationships are and what the power dynamics are. And, you know, those sorts of things, it sounds like you are solving with this new relationship with the Panther group. And we're trying, that is exactly right. So when I joined them, I went to um, MJ BizCon this last year and I, you know, I listened, I brought women over to the booth to hear what women were saying and how Panther was responding. And what I realized pretty quickly was there's a gap between women who are in the position where they're saying, okay, I need funding. They put themselves in front of someone who can potentially help them and they show up and they don't know, you know, it takes them 10 minutes to explain what their business is, you know, and I could Mm -hmm. see, you know, who, whatever salesperson they were talking to was just like trying not to be rude, but dozing off in the middle of the conversation. And we can't have that because if we have women who are uneducated, they're basically blowing their opportunity right? I don't want anyone talking to an investor unless they are ready. Don't blow your opportunity because you get one, right? And if you came back and you were totally prepared, what a difference could that make with this person? So how do we get women to show up ready, ready to have the conversation, ready to pitch their business in three sentences, answer the hard questions about their finances and their ask? How can they ask with confidence? So when we left the event, I put together what I thought was the best way for us to help. The three things that we know we can do to help are education, mentoring, and support. The education piece we wanted to make free. So we put together a document, an ebook called The Roadmap to Funding, Part 1, and this is that preparatory preparation stage I told you about, right? To get to being in front of somebody and being able to say, this is what I have. This is what I need with confidence. Are you also identifying in this book for the reader, for the entrepreneur, like, are you ready? Yeah. Are you ready to be taking on money? Do you know what that means? Yes. The first question we ask is, is my business viable for funding? And in that, we look at, okay, if you basically cannot tell me what your business is at the most fundamental level in three sentences, you got to go back to the drawing board, right? If you can't tell me what your competition is, if you can't tell me these basic things about your business, you need to go back and rethink it. Okay, you get past that. Now we can start talking about documents and financials. But if you can't get through the end of this roadmap to funding and have all of these things I've just taught you about and and given you templates and walked you through, you got to go back to the drawing board. And my hope is that women will actually open it up, read it, and work through the steps that we have recommended. 
We put a lot of really good information in there. The most common questions we get from entrepreneurs and the most common things we see investors looking for. And my, really my hope is that women will say, okay, I, cause I don't want to be the one to tell, look, ladies, again, I have been that person who needed to hear this. You do not have something that is fundable right now. Go back to the drawing board. Or if you are starting a business right now, use this to grow your business and develop your strategy so that in two years, you, when you are ready to go raise your first round, you're prepared. You've seen it as a strategy of your whole business, not a problem solving solution when your back is against the wall. Amen. So, yes, we go over in Roadmap to Funding, the viability of your actual business. We go over all the documents that you're going to need to prepare, and we've given you a few templates to work things out on. We go over the different types of funding that are available. What is equity? What is debt? Interesting thing about debt. The cannabis industry has to innovate because, you know, we're a new industry, no matter what it is, whether it's an ERP or funding, we have to innovate our products. So there's a lot of really cutting edge debt products coming on the market. It's worth exploring as an option. And then we go over what is M&A? Why would you get involved in a merger or acquisition? What do they look like? How does that go? What do investors want to see from you? How does an investor, here's a good one. How does an investor determine whether you're going to be a good ROI? Well, we explain the threshold for return so that you now have that to think with. And the other thing that this one just gets me every time problem I've had for a long time, I have equity. Okay. I have an interesting business. Women want to help me run it. I don't have money. They have passion. They want to do it for free or at a discounted rate in exchange for equity. Now what, how much equity do I give them? I know I have to hold on to some, but they want some. And when I offer 1%, they act like I'm, you know, being insulting. I don't know how to make that determination. I've never found an attorney to tell me. Nobody has ever been able to give me any guidelines on that. So I have guidelines yeah. in there. Okay. So now nice. there's an entire page dedicated to things that you as a CEO need to think about your equity distribution and some calculations that you can use to help you figure out how to dole it out to your employees. I wanted this document to be incredibly useful and meaningful yeah. based on the experiences I've had. Now, if you're a seasoned CEO, you've already raised a few rounds, this is not for you. This is for the women who are starting out. And even if you're just starting your business and you're not ready to go for funding, use this document so that you understand the 360 of your business. Because a savvy sure. CEO understands their expenses. They understand their profit and loss statements. They understand where their sales issues are. They understand their product issues. They get all of it. And this doesn't happen for a lot of us until our back again is against the wall and we got to produce these for someone. You need to be on top of that from the day you open your business. And a lot of people that I know, they're accidental yes. CEOs. Yeah. You know, I mean, I didn't set out to, you know, build a big company or something, but it was just like, I'm passionate about telling these stories and helping people find the right medicine for them. And I have a media background, so why not do this? And mainstream media is full of shit. So now how do we collect, you know, independent journalists to tell the truth about plant medicine? And, you know, and just like each step of the way was done by being passionate about something but then it having legs and growing and then, you know, all of a sudden, yeah, it's a business and I am ill-equipped to take care of the numbers. I'm a word person. I'm not a number person and I'm trying to make myself a number person and it just, I don't know, it, it feels like, how did, how did I get here and who put this CEO hat on me? Yeah, exactly. And the accidental CEO, I love it. It's so true because... And, and also, we've been raised in this environment in the last 20 years with the um, emergence of the success of tech that, hey, you know, being a, a multi-billionaire 
CEO is the way to go that, you know, if I just follow this guy's advice and I, you know, meditate five times a day and I take these kinds of meetings and you know, that it's, we've now created this idea that that is the pinnacle of success in our society. And it's not true. It's bullshit. It's a persona. It's a goal that we're reaching for. That is, is, it's like, you know, I want to be an Oscar winner. Well, you know what? The same is true about tech CEOs or successful CEOs. Very, 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 very few of them ever reach that point. But there is a place in between where having a successful business that pays your employees, that pays your bills, that creates something meaningful in the marketplace. You may not be worth a million dollars, but there is value in that. But, you know, we get caught up in this other idea. Well, and also the idea that gets sold to us that money is going to solve all your problems. And I promise if you go to a rehab center, the majority of those people make a lot of fucking money. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not doesn't make them happy. And so it's like trying to strike this balance of building something meaningful and, you know, doing something in service to the community while also making really good money, but just always knowing that, you know, the trajectory is on freedom and happiness, you know, not on just mm -hmm. collecting mm -hmm. all the Benjamins. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the thing that I started this conversation with was women's passion in the industry. You know, there'd be pioneers to make the medicine available. And so you have a lot of businesses in this industry that are heart-driven, mission-driven businesses, that the mission comes first and the money-making comes second. So like WEIC, that was definitely the case with us. And in five years, I was not able to bring us financially to a place where I could bring home a salary. So, you know, it, having a mission-driven business is not always equate to, you know, a business that's financially successful. Mm -hmm. And I had a really interesting conversation with someone the other day from the East Coast who was saying, oh, you know, we need to educate the consumer because people don't understand dosing. And, you know, the conversations we've been having over here years, years, right? They're new to the East yeah. Coast. And my comment to her was, well, good luck with that because nobody's ever made a successful business out of educating the consumer. No. Right? I'm one of them. Right? But why is that? There's a huge need in the industry for it. There's thousands, hundreds of thousands of new consumers that need to be turned, that education is needed there, but nobody's willing to invest in it. And how does it make money? Well, and the other thing too is, you know, I, I put out loads of content and, you know, have um, consulting services, but I still have people, they just want the information for free. Mm -hmm. Just tell me, just tell me what to do. Tell me what to take. Tell me. And, and so, you know, you just, mm-hmm. Don't build a business around that. Yeah, it's funny because we, <laughs> when we, um, we put a post up over the weekend talking about the roadmap to funding and we, if someone came after us pretty heavy because we have services, right? So we've got the roadmap to funding that is free. We've got um, a mentoring program that we're going to release. We'll give some scholarships away and we'll give some discounted tickets and it'll be about $500 to go through the eight week program, which we feel is really reasonable. And then we have consulting services. But if you want to hire us to take the network that we have built and the relationships we have built and pitch you to our network of investors, cutting out a tremendous amount of time and, and effort on your part, um, we charge for that. You know, that's how we make money. And we were yeah. attacked for it because it's a pay to play. Well, are you kidding? Are we like, why is there this mentality in the industry that we can't pay for services from people or that we should just give everything away. If we're actually valid and we're helping, then we're just going to give everything away. It's like here again, we're locked into this mentality of scarcity. Yeah. Well, and that's the slippery slope in so many industries, you know, in media, there was this idea of added value. Someone buys airtime from me, but then what are you going to give me for free? Because that somehow got built into the radio industry of free remotes or free spots. And that doesn't happen in television. That doesn't happen in other places, but it was something that 
somebody in radio gave something away once and then it's just a slippery slope. People expect it for free. And, you know, when you talk about open source and how we're building something together that comes into play here where, you know, it's like, well, you want women to be successful. So, you know, give us all you got. But at some point, you have to see the value of what I'm giving you. And if there is no monetary exchange, then how are you perceiving that value? Mm-hmm. And it it's a tricky conversation to have. I feel like women are way less likely to stand to their ground on something like that than a man is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because we want to be liked. We want our relationships to be okay. You know, and one of the guys at Panther Group calls it being in the friend zone. Can't get out of the Mm -hmm. friend zone. And it's true. Yeah, It's really, it's, it is, I think it is, it is an affliction that we as women deal with as much as we deal with imposter syndrome. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too, you know, doing what I do and what you do, we are very well networked and connected. So if someone says, I need something a lot of times I'm like, well, I know who you should talk to. Mm -hmm. Or in two phone calls, I could have you on with the right person or whatever. And there is a value to that. But I think a lot of times our word choices and the way we convey this kind of information, oh, I'd love to connect you with this person. Well, then great. That sounds like you're doing me a favor. Or I'm happy to connect you this with this person. I think it's going to be a good deal. Let's work out what my finder's fee is going to be if this is a match for you. You know, just being able to ask for what you want and and let someone know that, you know, if I'm bringing you value, then there's going to be some sort of exchange here. Yep. And it's kind of interesting, too, because there's that other end where I've dealt with women who are now trying to... Do, do better about representing themselves and, and maintaining their boundaries that go so overboard that they, they price themselves out of the opportunity as well. Or they're so rigid about it that it makes them difficult to work with. And, and I've seen it so many times and I don't, I don't really know how to address that, but there's, it's like we, there's this overcompensation because we know that we're not being taken seriously in this. So now we have to mm-hmm. over demonstrate and that is, can be just as alienating. So, yeah. you know, we really, I think that we as women have to do a better job, which is, you know, what the four P's is. We've got to advocate for each other. We have to make sure that if we hire women in our organizations, we treat them well, we pay them well, and we pay them what they're due when they're due it. We promote them within the organization and we protect each other. I'm so tired of the amount of backstabbing and cattiness and high school feeling BS that happens in this industry. We have to protect each other so that we can remove the trauma of working with each other and we don't have to be so overcompensating for things. Fortunately, I have four sisters, so I have been a team player with girls my whole life, and I played sports, and so like the idea of being a team player and that camaraderie comes very naturally to me with women, but a lot of women, that is not the case, Mm -hmm. and it's always been the scarcity mentality. It's not like, ooh, I want a guy like that. It's, I want that guy, Mm -hmm. and that happens in business, too, Mm -hmm. like, oh, there's... Mm -hmm. There's only going to be one opportunity here, or I need to be the person connected with this person, not them, whatever. I feel like I've been shut out of, of certain girl groups in, in the cannabis industry, and it feeling very foreign to me, like, what is happening right now? I thought we were all on the same team. Uh-huh. And so it's just trying to build trust with women in the industry and really practicing that. How are you showing up for the women? What's your reaction when one of the other women around you has a success? Do you feel jealous or do you want to praise them and congratulate them and let them know that, that you're proud for them and you're happy for them? You know, because the more we do that, the more success will show up for us. But when we are choosing to think that that the opportunity for success is scarce or that somebody got something that I didn't, 
that's when the divide and the the severing of ties and and camps shows up and that's not fun for anybody mm-hmm. and uh, you know i I've had so many experiences in the last five and a half years. I just did not understand why. So there's the being cut out of certain groups with no explanation, which is very bizarre. And then there's the being on the end of somebody telling me that I hate them and I don't even know them. I I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me. Emails I've gotten, you're not approving my post. Why do you hate me so much? It's like, it's not personal. It doesn't have anything to do with it. I don't even know you. I took someone horseback riding for the first time. He came to Texas to spend a little bit more time with me, talk in more depth about what I have going on, and to just experience Texas. So I took him horseback riding. He'd never been on a horse before. I hadn't been on a horse in 10 years. And the woman at the horse ranch that we went to, she said, when we're on horses— I'm going to have to talk louder. I'm going to be aggressive. If you wonder if I'm mad at you, that's your problem, not mine. Like mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not mad. I'm just doing my job to keep you safe and to make sure you know how to handle this horse. 99% of the things that we get offended about, the other person has no idea. Mm-hmm. You know, people aren't doing things personally to us. It's just us needing to step out of our ego and and just observe like, oh, that's interesting. I'm sensitive when people tell me that my baby's ugly, mm-hmm. that my business model's not working. Mm-hmm. So instead of being offended, let me dig down and look at what is wrong with it and how I can fix it and be better. Exactly. And as fellow women, we do have to understand and have compassion for the fact that we as women have, we have suffered so much trauma and abuse in work situations. There is, I don't know a single woman who does not have a horrifying abuse story from work, especially Gen Xers like myself, because we were taught you shut up, you do what you're told, you don't ask for more than you deserve, and you pay your dues. And when your boss screams at you and has you go pick up his dry cleaning, that's your job. You just deal with it. And then that becomes culture. And then women end up dealing with so many microaggressions and so much bullshit in the workforce that we're told we have to just swallow that when we get around other women, we let it out. We can attack each other. You know, it's safe to attack each other. And the, the only way I've managed to get through some of these very difficult situations with women is to really understand, look, your trauma in your work situation, I understand That's not what's being created here, but I get it. And from there, we have to have the conversation of how things were, but how women are now, especially in the cannabis industry, working very hard to create environments that are positive work environments, not negative, abusive ones. And that's another reason why we need to get more women funded so we can have more women running companies that aren't abusive to their employees. Amen. You know, it's so funny because I grew up on a ranch and was worked like a man as a teenager in the summers being a ranch hand. One of my first jobs out of college, I had a boss that was yelling at me and he threw his pencil out his door at me at my desk to get my attention. I was on a call And when I hung up the phone, I picked up his pencil and I marched to his office and I threw it back at him. And I was like, don't you ever do that to me again. Over my dead body is this how this relationship is going to be at work. But I'm also a feisty woman. So I can imagine a lot of women would just end up continuously getting pencils thrown at them when they weren't paying attention. Yep. Or not wanting to ruffle feathers, wanting everybody to like them, not feeling like they deserve to. I mean, on and on and on. I mean, honestly, Gen Z is blowing my mind. Some of the ways that they show up in the workplace can be difficult for someone who was raised in the world that I was, where you pay your dues and you keep your mouth shut. But on the other hand, the women of that generation are so much more confident in asserting their boundaries. And, you know, I really think that they they are going to be a major part of changing the work environment for women as a whole. 
I like to hear that. I really like to hear that. You know, I kind of work in a bubble. I don't have very many people that I interface with. So, you know, I don't have those experiences. But I will say, you know, part of the Gen Z that I've seen, they are that assertive, but they also are asking for a lot before they do any work. They're like, no, you pay me a lot and then I'll do the work. And I'm like, but I need to see that you know how to do the work. So it, you know, it's a fine line, but I definitely appreciate where that's going and that that's been your experience. Yeah, I do too, because the abuse needs to stop. We need to stop doing that to each other. And just acknowledging it and doing the internal work, like healing our own wounds makes us show up in the world a much better person and more tolerable and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, more compassionate to everyone else. So, you know, it's doing the personal work, but then being educated enough to be able to hold space in that room and ask for what you want and sound intelligent and get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am not a fan of Gary Vaynerchuk, but I saw a video he put up yesterday on LinkedIn talking about the fact that if you use fear uh, against your employees in a meeting, you're a weak leader. And I really appreciated that coming from a man Because far too often, executives will use fear to manage people. And then that begins this cycle that we're talking about, you know, where you get yelled at. Who wants to get yelled at? You're not a child anymore. No one should be yelling at you unless they're yelling at you to get out of the way of a moving car or a house on fire or something massively, massively dramatic, which should never really happen in a work environment anyway. So, yeah, yeah, removing that fear-based leadership from... Uh, from our community is very important too. Um, I know we're running out of time, so I just wanted to quickly put in a plug for uh, what we're doing with the Panther Group. The Roadmap to Funding is downloadable. Um, You can just Google Roadmap to Funding Panther Group. It should take you right there. It's a free download. Feel free to download it, hand it to anybody you think would benefit. Our mentoring program will be launching in April And we'll be sending out lots of information about that. And really, you know, the reason that I went with the Panther group is because they they actually care. They are not paying lip service. I've had some encounters with them as we've gotten to know each other that have really spoken to me that they care. They actually, you know, they're straddling the line between they've got a business, they've got a full staff, you know, they've got payroll to make. So they are a business. But what they're willing to do to get women educated, and once we are, we really feel like we have a handle on our program for women, we're also going to focus on social equity. They want to make. They really do want to change the trajectory for women and minorities in this industry, and they're willing to put their time and their money and their energy and their knowledge into making that happen in a very sincere way. And I. I'm very, very grateful to be working with them. And I'm grateful for the fact that I was able to find a team that I feel proud to put the WEIC name to because we may not have made a lot of money over the last five years, but we have a massive reach and a tremendous amount of credibility because we have not sacrificed what we are doing for money. So we have always worked to, to provide things that are very helpful to women and that will not change. Well, I love what you're doing. I appreciate who you are. I'm a member of that community. Yes, you are. And it's funny. I know you are a professional podcaster because I didn't even have to ask you to do any of that. (laughs) So um, we'll make sure and have the link in the show notes for the guide, the roadmap. But if people wanted to just become a member, learn more about WEIC and how they can get involved, where do we send them for that? You can go to womenemployedincannabis.com and get links to our Facebook group, which, you know, Facebook is dying, but we're still active over there. We've got a LinkedIn group that you can connect with through that. Sign up for our email list and on our website. 
and follow us on Instagram at Women Employed in Cannabis. All right. Well, Kira, thank you so much. I will be personally downloading that roadmap. And however I can support you in getting that word out, I'm here. Thank you so You're much. my girl squad. <laughs> Ditto, sister. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on and letting me talk about this and helping me get the word out. And I'm here as well if you've got any questions as you go on your journey. And I hope that the roadmap to funding will open up some other opportunities and ideas for you. That's the that's the whole point. Amen. Thank you, Kira. Bye-bye. If you didn't know before, I hope you know now that it takes real chutzpah to be a woman in hemp and cannabis. If you learned something valuable in today's chat, I hope you'll share this episode with your smoke circle. And head over to the podcast 243 show notes at casuallybaked.com to learn more about joining the Women Employed in Cannabis community. You'll also find more information on the Panther Group and how they can help you find your place at the funding table. Whether you're just starting out or looking to grow your existing business, take advantage of the thoughtfully prepared Roadmap to Funding. I've also included a link to this free guide by WEIC and the Panther Group in the show notes. And if you're interested in connecting with me for networking, business collaborations, or wellness lifestyle coaching, email your messages, requests, or can of curious questions through the website at casuallybaked.com. Or you can always DM me on social. When I'm there, I'm at Casually Baked on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, The Weed Tube, and Truth Social. No matter how you decide to support this highly responsible cannabis movement, thank you for doing your part to Puff Puff Pass It On. Yes, is a high time. We had a high time together. Casually Baked the Podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Jamie Humiston at PodConnects. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a -a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has kind of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects network. Network.